And this is totally the first time I'm actually prepared for this with like ridiculous notes. Great. Let's do a show as in starting right now. Okay. Ready? Who's ready? Everybody recording their end? You can. All right. Great. Okay. I'm recording my end. That's important to note. All right. We're going to talk about Thrones in three, two. Welcome to a very important turning point, epic, crazy, blue-eyed episode of Let's Talk About (laughs) Thrones, the podcast where we talk about the epic HBO series Game of Thrones. I'm Sarah Jenny of Tarth, and I am alive. Uh, (laughs) I'm joined by Lord Commander Richard Gunther, who is... Also alive. I mean, in this world. Uh, (laughs) I've got Sarah Anthony of uh, Hot Pies Restaurant. Uh, He's the guy who guards the hot pies. Or um, eats them. Or eats them, depending (laughs) on the day. And because this episode is just so much, there's so much episode, we sent out ravens far and wide across the land, and lo and behold... Who showed up with Ghost, or it might be Ray, at his side, but one Tom Merritt, Warden of the North. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I am alive for now. Good. (laughs) Although you were looking really out of breath the last time we saw you, but that seems fair. Uh, (laughs) Also, good to know that our ravens actually do something. That's right. (laughs) We'll get to that in just a hot second. Um, I thought that we would start um, with a little explanation of how we're going to do this episode just very quickly. We are not going chronologically because with four of us, I have done the computations and that should last about 7,000 years. So we're going to start with our overall thoughts. We're going to talk about who lived, who died, who tells their story. Uh, We're going to talk about the battle as an experience. What did we love? What arcs paid off? What happened? We're not going to talk about it blow by blow. We're not even going to talk about it in order. That's we're just going to let anarchy reign in the battle as it did in the battle. We're going to have a little favorite scenes or quotes. We're going to talk about that ending. And then we're going to talk about my favorite category WTF next. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jenny. Yes. Have you warned Tom? While we're talking about WTF next, that we don't spoil ahead. Oh, yes. That's a really good point. So one of us on this podcast, and I'm not going to say who. Oh, I think Tom knows who. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I do. Uh, I had a guest on our Spoiler in Time show, the Court Killers (laughs) Companion show recently, who expressed the fact that he does not like to speculate on what might happen next. Properly prepared. We do it anyway, and we just like to see Richard turn purple. All right. So let's start with uh, the Warden of the North, used to be King of the North, slight emotion for love. That turned out well. Overall thoughts, just general first impressions, um, like the thing that stays with you about this episode, which is called The Long Night, Tom. I The thing I keep thinking about this episode is it, I was told it was a battle episode and I don't consider it a battle episode. This is not, in my mind, like Battle of the Bastards. It's not even like Hard Home, uh, because there's no strategy when you're fighting a bunch of zombies, right? 
Uh, they come at you endlessly and you kill the Night King or you lose. That's that's all the strategy there is. So this <laughs> this episode, uh, my impressions are this is a really well woven narrative of what it's like to be under siege, what it's like to be backs against the wall with hopelessness, what it's like to try to buy time for something when you know that you have no chance of winning on your own and you hope someone else does it. Uh, and I really wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this episode until the end when they surprised me and I'd forgotten all about what was going to happen, you know, where, where that character was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she jumps out of nowhere and ends it. Uh, and I was on my feet cheering. Yes. Uh, Sir Rid, we will go into all of that in great depth. Excellent summation. Sir Richard, bring, or Lord Commander Richard, bring it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because this is the thing that we've been building to for seven years. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, and this shouldn't surprise you, but it felt anticlimactic for seven years of buildup. It was, I thought, an amazing sequence of fight scenes. And there were times when it felt like it was just not going to end well for everybody involved. And they played us really well. The surprise ending, I think, was phenomenal. I did not see that coming at all. And there were so many clues that we'll probably talk about. But, oh, by the way, um, Jenny, good call in the crypt. Yeah, I only said it 17,000 times like they said it 17,000 times. Oh, the crypt. It's, you know, it's the safest place. The place with all the dead people. It'll be totally safe. Nobody remembers hard home. Anyway, uh, I was really happy uh, to be right. Um, uh, Sir Anthony. We were told this would be the longest battle in television history. It's going to be comparable to, uh, was it the Two Towers Helms Deep. Helms Deep. Um, it, it, we were it, we, all these things, and what we got was four or five separate battles happening at the same time, with the focus on different characters that were interwoven to kind of give us a, a sense of time and having a lapse between them. I thought it was masterful. I thought it was amazing. It wasn't the battle I was expecting, but overall, I thought it was really really good. I think they they switched it up on us and gave me more than I expected and delivered phenomenally. It wasn't the battle you wanted, it was the battle you needed. (laughs) (laughs) It was the battle they needed. It's interesting that you bring up that parallel again to the Lord of the Rings, because as we were watching it, that's exactly what Edward said. This reminded him of the some of the battle scenes from Lord of the Rings. Okay, so I would like to give my uh, overall thoughts here because they align with this topic, Richard. Um, I will say that I would call this not the long night or the battle of Winterfell, but the battle of what happens when the general is down in the crypt, right? (laughs) Nobody was in charge. And that goes back to Tom's point about the zombies, right? Um, Which is you just fight and fight until somebody survives. But like literally uh, everyone except Grey Worm and Lyanna Mormont broke the rules. Like the the two dum dums on the dragons broke the rules. You know, uh, uh, everybody just just was like panicked and hacking the do- the. Well, we'll get there. But I, I think the takeaway I have on the episode as an episode of television 
is that this is not my favorite kind of Game of Thrones episode. The episode just preceding this, the one where all was revealed and relationships were clarified, that is my personal preference of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. This is like... um, there were only three important things that happened in this episode and the rest was filler from a character perspective. And I, it left me feeling, no pun intended, a little cold, except for those- That pun was so intended. So intended. (laughs) So intended. Um, It made me feel like the things I loved, I loved, but the rest was just a lot of like haze, snow- and confusion, which I understand that's a choice. They didn't do that by accident, but it wasn't a choice that went for me. And also, furthermore, and we'll get into this a little bit, there were a lot of sequences that used things from The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, from basic horror movies of hiding in a library. Like, the best thing about Game of Thrones is all the times you saw things you never saw before. Right. And I, I would say this episode was filled with things you have seen visually before. Hmm. So with that in mind, um, we may now talk about who lived and who died. So, Sir Anthony, tell us, run us down who lived, who died. I mean, don't run us down who lived, because the short answer is, like, almost everyone. <laughs> everyone who died? else. Yeah. Everyone else. <laughs> who if, died? If you have a name, chances are good you lived. Um, the A-list lived. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um I think most expectedly was Theon dying. Mm-hmm. I think everybody—I don't say everybody, but I—I I fully expected Theon to die. Uh, Sir Jorah, I thought he got the death that he needed. I, th- I think his storyline finished out perfectly. I, I was not surprised by his death, even though I didn't want it. I was definitely not surprised. Um, and Lyanna Mormont is the other big kicker. The other mm. of the three, and again, I think she got exactly not what she deserved, but what she deserved. Yeah. So Yeah. If she couldn't live and grow up and be the badass that she should have been, she went out like the badass she was. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Tom, well, by did the way, we miss the it? Four, yeah. yeah. Hold on. In the forty two minute make making of, they interviewed the actor who plays Leanna Mormont, and she basically said, If I wasn't going to take the throne, which seemed unlikely, I just wanted to have a really good death. So I'm glad they wrote this part for me. Oh, it was so cool. good. Um there was another uh, death. Tom, do you remember who this is? Well, uh, there were several others. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Theon. You mentioned Jorah. And then we lost Ed. Dead yeah. Ed. First off. <laughs> He's now dead. He's now dead Ed. <laughs> D-E-D-D. Yeah, E-D-D. <laughs> um, yes, that was really sad. Uh, but that was another one of those like um, tropes you've seen in things before. The moment of breath and pause followed by the gutting. Um, now who Although else? I wasn't expecting it, even though you're right. It's right. it's a trope. Right. Uh, but I thought, oh, Ed saved Sam. Oh, crap. Before I had a chance <laughs> to be happy about it, he was gone. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, are we missing anyone, Richard? Who did we miss? Well, we are. So your favorite voice, Beric. Oh, yeah. Same trope, right? He yeah. ends up saving the Hound and Aria. Aria. And stays behind while he allows them to escape. Full JC Superstar pose there, too. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of weird, actually. 
Well, you know, and they then, did bring him back 18 times. And now his fire has they, gone out. Yes. Speaking of fire, thank the fire gods. Melisandre is gone. Although... <laughs> she died of old age. She... Re- <laughs> <laughs> She in, in, in she quite the really, twist. She really did kind of contribute in a big way that I didn't expect, and I, I I was actually rooting for her and feeling bad for her when her fire spell wasn't working on the mm-hmm. trench, and so you know I. I, I yeah, that was cool. One We've more all been than, there. Tried to light the grill, you know, I and know, all the eyes are on you. I know. Everybody's looking at you. Tons of pressure. I know. And then at the last minute, at the very last second, it lights. So I have one more question. Did Gilly die in the crypt? Someone was No, pulled- I saw her. I didn't notice it till the se- my second viewing. On my second viewing, you see her standing holding yes. the baby. Okay. Yes. All right. There was a woman with long hair who that was I know. pulled under, yeah. and for a moment, I thought that that was Gilly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, she's. Uh, a- you guys, there's one more person who died. Oh yes. What? Well, a person or a thing. Mm, fair point. Go Once for it. Once was a person. Yeah. Uh, well, and actually, now that I think about it, you're right, Jenny. Uh, lots, lots of other people died. Yeah. The Night King and all his whites died. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Like we, it was the um, OG zombie theory of zombies, which is kill the lead zombie and all the other zombies die, uh, which, you know, we'll get to the specific execution of in a moment. But yeah, the plan worked even after all the other plans didn't work. Um, Well, the plan worked, but not the way that it was supposed to, right? right. I mean, it came about a different way. One more question on dead people before we leave that. And uh, that is that – what about the dragon that John was riding? Oh, Rhaegal. Is, Rhaegal. Rhaegal. Is he alive or dead? Because at some we, point in time, he became kind of incapacitated. Richard, do you watch previews? I did watch this one. Okay. I, I, no, I, I wasn't being snarky. I, because yeah, yeah, no. some people don't. And right. so I was this I changes how I answer. Totally understand. You don't I don't think you know at the end of this episode, but there do seem to be two dragons flying. Okay. All right. Yes. I missed that. All but right. one dragon, like his namesake, did bite the dust. Uh and that was Viserion. Mm. And even though he was a zombie dragon, he still was one of Daenerys' children. And so that was sad. Um so yeah, so we will uh get to that. So now if the so basically They got rid of, and this is interesting, because if you think about the title of the show, the title of the show is not Game of Winterfell, right? The title Mm -hmm. of the show is Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. So they are making very clear that they just did this as their third episode, and it was great, but this was a side battle. This was something literally depleting the North to save the world, but the real battle is yet to come. And that's kind of what Cersei wanted all along. That lady, no dummy. No, this is best case scenario (laughs) for her, right? Yeah. She's like, oh, good. They won and they like are utterly like more than decimated. Great. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So minimum number of dead people died. Although I do want to say I thought the death of Liana Mormont was heartbreaking, wonderful, super sad, and really badass. I just like... 
like I just thought it was fantastic. And both Mormonts, like if you think about it, the Mormont line as oh, we yeah. know it. Bad night for Mormonts. Yeah, there's like sixty. <laughs> there's only like thirty people left on Bear Island. Like the the wars of the wars of the North have depleted Bear Island in a way that Lessmont. Am I right? Yeah, Lessmont. <laughs> it was it was a bad night for Mormonts. No so I think Mormont. That is the house that took the hardest. Although the dead Throcky. Uh, really took a hit, as did the Unsullied. Um, wow. And in fact, do we know if any Dothraki survived? We see a handful running back with Jorah, but we don't know how many. That's yeah. true. In, in, in this early a, episode a, as well. Okay, okay. But a significant number of the Unsullied retreat back into mm-hmm. Winterfell. We don't know, honestly, how many of them survived because, of course, of the battle inside. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So, the battle. Okay. So, let's think about this for a moment because you, we have done a really excellent job. They have done in the first two episodes an excellent job of leading up to this battle. And they did a spectacular, what I like to call the baseball whip around that they did so successfully at the end of Star Trek 2009 and in many, many other movies where you just whip from main character to main character to main character. And they did it without any present front front and center lines of dialogue. You heard dialogue weaving through the background from various characters, but there was no dialogue until I think Ed said, like, uh, oh, for fuck's sake, you took your time or something, <laughs> not like a pirate. Um, but yeah, like this first, I, I thought my take on the battle without getting too specific was this lead up to it, up to the point where the flames lit the Dothraki swords and went into the darkness, I thought was spectacular. And then obviously the ending I thought was spectacular. And I thought the middle was a series of discreet hot messes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Tom, uh, battle. Favorite things, like things that blew your mind, like technical expertise, go free reign. Sure, sure. Uh, just a couple of scattered impressions. One is it took me two viewings to understand why Arya was scared in the library. Uh, I didn't catch that she hit her head and was stunned the first time through. So I was really puzzled why, like, why is she suddenly so scared of these guys? Exactly. She was not, not having a problem a moment ago. And the second viewing I see where like, she really slams her head and the blood's coming down. I'm like, Oh, she's stunned. It's not that she's scared so much as she's stunned and she she doesn't have all her faculties. And so now she can't cope because, you know, she's, she's thrown off her game. So, uh, it really suddenly went from me questioning to working really well. I'm like, this is a really good arc. Uh, I I really liked that Melisandre uh, had a staring contest with Arya at the beginning because then that paid <laughs> off with at you know towards the end her saying like, oh yeah, no, the whole reason I'm here uh, is to give you this pep talk. Go Arya. What do we say to death? <laughs> Remember? Remember your friend? Uh, that was really good. I I, I love that that piece. Uh, I also. I know this seems to be, from what I'm reading, a less popular view. I found the Tyrion Sansa thing super sweet. Yeah. Uh, and Sansa sort of forgiving Tyrion and accepting his kindness in that moment that she was in no way uh, in a position to accept when she was in King's Landing to say, like, you know, you 
you were the best of them and and his reaction of like well that's terrifying if i'm the best of them uh i just thought that was fantastic and i could have ha- i could have gone for even a little more cheesy uh a battle run of, of Tyrion and sansa against the wipes mm-hmm. uh but i like yeah. what we got hey on that discussion or on on that partnership does anyone know what they mouthed to each other right before they came out of hiding in the crypt hmm. i don't recall i do not no. i mean because they were looking at each other they had a lot of knowing glances at each other and i thought it, it was just now that they were but... mouthing some hmm. words to each other but i have watched it multiple times and i can't figure out <laughs> what the heck it is i like the hand kiss i thought that was lovely and mm. I feel like maybe it might have been as something as simple as now, now. But I don't know because I didn't catch that as a moment. Um, the uh, Sir Anthony. Mm. Oh, wait, Tom, any other battle moments that you felt were particularly like shot well, baller? I mean, the whole thing is just yeah. shot in- impressively. Uh, he he always, the, the director always does the, the best battle. He's done all the battles in Game of Thrones or all the the recent ones like hard home and, and battle of the bastards. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I guess the, the moment that'll stick out next is when you realize like, Oh, a ring of fire isn't that great of a defense against zombies who don't value their own lives at all. <laughs> and will just lay down to damp out the fire. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe like, don't assume your zombies are like humans, right. Yeah. Who have self-interest in staying alive. And that is that like, awesome. Yeah. That was an odd, like everything at all times exceeded the human ingenuity because of the dire unthinking. Uh, oh, speaking of dire, we don't know if Ghost lived. Yeah. Uh, also available in the preview. In a in a, if you freeze one of the later frames of Winterfell, you see him standing there. Okay, good. And I think I thought he bought it in the first scene, but then I think I saw him in the crypt later. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Nice. Um, okay, so Sir Anthony battle. I know you're going to have a lot to say about the camera work. I would like you to specifically speak to the darkness element, which many on the Twitters have discussed. <laughs> I I didn't have any problem with it. I was streaming it, and I didn't have over compression or anything else. But the the darkness almost became its own character for mm. for the first half of this episode. And when my favorite part of the battle, honestly, was when the uh, the unsullied are are holding off the hordes of undead, and it's not just un, you know the the whites running towards the unsullied; they're actually like climbing on top of each other like a wave of death coming in. So it's it's not just one you know one zombie coming at you; it's one zombie with like four zombies on his back. Because they were just climbing over each other to get in there, and I thought that was just that was frightening. Uh, it genuinely startled me watching the, the episode. Um, and as far as the rest of darkness goes, I thought, yeah, of course it's going to be dark. Of course you're going to have to watch this a couple times to catch all the little details and and see all the things. I thought it was it was wonderful. I thought their use of light was remarkable, and all the the CG. Uh, um, clouds and things like that that they had. I saw one YouTuber call it every if if you freeze frame any single frame in this movie or in the show, it's a a picture you could put on your wall. Oh, it's that's just great. so beautiful the entire time. It's just great. Uh, I will say that um on direct TV, right? In full 1080 probably I 
uh, although I'm not certain, it did pixelate. The darkness did pixelate around the edges. It was that square, blocky pixelation. Mm -hmm. And I'm super curious about why that happened for some and not for others. Like, maybe it was like the signal that they were receiving from HBO. Maybe they made DirecTV look crappy so that you would go to Time Warner. I don't know. But <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's a matter of video, as you, you well know, is incredibly complex and can be delivered in thousands of different ways. Uh, and my guess is DirecTV compresses those video streams uh, to make them fit. And when you compress stuff, that's what you see. You see those little blocky bits. Yeah. Because uh, we, we streamed it from HBO Now, and there was a little bit of that here and there. And it certainly was dark, but I never felt like I couldn't see things. Like, it it, it, it was perfectly easy to, to see on my stream. So I think it just depends on your, your bandwidth or what provider yeah. you're looking at it. Uh, and that kind of stuff. My um, my friend, we were watching it with my friend Katie Best, who shall come into the story later. Uh, but she was super pissed because she's a video editor. She works on um, the most recent thing she worked on was Young Sheldon. So she's dealing with exactly those levels and rates that you would expect. And she was just off her rocker, upset about the fact that it was so. Um, mm -hmm compressy and weird and it's coming straight from the you know from the sky down to the satellite through the box so i don't know there's a side point but i did notice a direct tv is famous for compressing yeah the video that they deliver over satellite yeah this is why we have tom on this show it's very exciting <laughs> someone has an authoritative answer to this issue for me i'm very pleased okay i'm sorry anthony i interrupted you talk to me more about the battle what stood out what felt like it was unaddressed um Honestly, I didn't. I, I thought the battle plan was really poor. Like just going into the battle plan, I was like, I, I, why didn't they light up more? You know, further out to defeat that darkness. Why did they mm. not think about the storm coming in? Why was that not a, a, a you know, maybe it's it's that that, that extra viewing uh, perception. Like I've seen all the parts, including the ones that the characters haven't seen. So. Um, but overall, I thought it was great. And as I said in my initial summation. The fact that they split it off into different different channels of action. You know, you had the the stuff going on in the crypts. You had Arya's little little tangent, her story with the Hound and Beric, and you know, you, you had outside the gate, and all of a sudden that that flipped to inside the gates. And I thought it was just phenomenal. I thought I, without doing a a uh, a hard home type of of scene, I thought they did exactly what they needed to, even though it wasn't the battle that I thought it was promised. Um, I would say that uh, what I found most interesting about this battle was that people, it, it does show you what happens when a lot of people from, it's like the all-star game in baseball. It's a lot of people from a lot of different teams, <laughs> but they're not really used to all being on the same team. And so when I say a battle without a general, the two people that were most likely to be your generals were doing the Air Force battle, and they weren't particularly talking to each other. You notice, like, they were just kind of like, they must have, I think, honestly spoke one sentence to the other, and then the other spoke a sentence back. And that's literally all the sentences they spoke to each other in this episode, which, given what we learned the episode before, what Danny learned makes sense. So when you have a divided leadership, you have some problems. Then you've got Jorah, who's basically the outside general with but then there's also Brienne. Nobody was in charge. That's yeah. what Tyrion... I, thought, I actually yeah. felt like Jorah was in charge uh, and 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 he was because wasn't he the one who called the retreat? Out of I, the actually, field. no, it wasn't that great. Was that great one? 
Yeah, out on the field. But like, think about it. There was Jorah in what? Like, it was like a whole bunch of I don't know military. Anthony. It was like not sergeants, but uh, lieutenants, lieutenants or yeah, yes, yeah, some lot of lieutenants, no general, no. And that's what Tyrion was saying down in that crypt. What if there was something I'm I could have seen? What if there was something this? What if you know like? Yeah. And and really, the answer was somebody. Davos was doing a little bit of it, but like, no one had the the real picture of the battle even the way that that um ramsey bolton did in in um the battle of the bastards where he just stayed up on the hill and sent people in yeah that, i think that the my my reaction to that now i'm sorry Amos, I'll, I'll make this real quick uh was that they knew that it was just buying time mm. until the night king came to bran and so they they didn't feel like they needed a lot of strategic viewing mm. jora knew what to do outside brienne knew what to do inside fair Fair. That was it. Richard, uh, okay. Uh, Anthony, did we get all your battle thoughts and yep. shall we move to... All right, so uh, yes, Lord I'm, Commander... I'm really anxious to hear what Richard has to say about yes, the battle Yes, Lord Commander battle Dead Ed Richard Gunther of the Night's Watch. The last remaining guy in the Night's Watch. Tell us what you thought of this battle. So, as I've mentioned in the past, I don't follow what I'll call Game of Thrones Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what all the discussion was about today, but I do know that I hated the darkness. I felt like they used it as a crutch and it was it gave them a convenient opportunity to make more things spectacular. For example, I loved and you know, and this is one of the things that they made spectacular, the wave of Dothraki with their flaming knives. I loved that scene. And when you see all of the flames go out from so far away, I thought that was so well done. I really liked that. But when we got into this thing with this, like, literally hour-long grunting during a windstorm, trying to fly dragons, but not being able to see anything, it just really kind of annoyed the crap out of me. And I didn't like that it was so hard to see detail of what was going on. And again, I know that gives them the ability to maybe pull more over on us in a good way. But I feel like this group has demonstrated that they can produce and present extravagant battle scenes where it feels like a ton of stuff is going on with a ton of people and we don't feel tricked. And I felt tricked because we just couldn't see stuff. And I will give you an example of an, of a type of storytelling where not seeing the enemy depends on like the tension is created by not being able to see the enemy in a literal cloud. Do you guys have a sense of what I'm talking about? I'll give you a hint. It's Star Trek wrath of Khan, right? So Uh, wait a minute. Is it Star Trek wrath of Khan? Yes, it is. You guessed it. But think about that movie that came out in like the 80s, right? Yep. And they had a cloud and you could sometimes see and you could sometimes not see. And it was very simple, slow chase scene where you couldn't see. And you guys, that it, soundtrack is playing in my head. Now. I know. I'm sorry. Now you're going to have to watch it again. It's like incepting. But oh, hell's hard. I stab at thee. Yeah, I know. Now it's let's talk about Star Trek. Um but I, I, I thought of that because I was like, I was never unclear ever 
in Wrath of Khan about where anybody was or what they were doing or what they were looking for. And in this one, I was hella confused all the time. And I think it's not just because of the darkness or the cloud or the smoke or the this or the that. It was... um, Okay, I'm going to give you another example from Let's Talk About the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There was a quote about... Oh, wait. I'm not going to spoil Endgame. Let me just say that right now. (laughs) Not going to spoil it. Just going to say that for the movies that the Russo brothers have directed in the MCU, one of the things they are known for in general is a really good commitment to where characters are in the physical world of things you are never lost you always know where they are in relation to the storytelling and in this i did not know i had to watch it twice and i kept fading out during the big battle scenes and that was unexpected i agree completely and i even got the thing that i wanted which was dragon on dragon fighting yeah and i couldn't tell which dragon was Who was who? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right? I, I'll be honest. So I didn't have as many problems as it sounds like you two did. And uh, what problems I did have, I only had on the first viewing. And I attributed that to just being too nervous to pay close attention. True. Because the second time through, <laughs> everything seemed clear. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, you can see John on that. I just, I was just, you know, I wasn't focused in. Uh, but I also didn't have any problems with the dark levels on my stream. So mm. I, I, I think... It is confusing, uh, and when when you're like amped up about what's going to happen, and especially when you you're not sure what's going to happen next, it's always harder to track stuff like that. Um, but I I think there's still something to what you're saying, Jenny, where they didn't give you a lot of clues uh, to help you error recover when mm-hmm. you when you had two dragons. And it wasn't immediately. It wasn't immediately obvious. Like, oh, that's the blue one. Okay, you know, right. he, we know who he is. Yeah, that's the one with the star on in front of his uniform. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So really crazy. Can yes. can I have two more things yes, for the battle? Absolutely. So one I, again, I really love that initial charge scene, even though it ends horribly, and with the trebuchet throwing the flaming things over the horses that. That whole scene and the production of that just blew my mind. I thought it was phenomenal. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Another thing. In the, uh, in the making of, they they all, several people talked about how they never wanted to do that again, but they're really <laughs> glad they did it that one time. <laughs> yeah, it, was, like, yeah. it was really difficult. Yeah. yeah. 40, 40 nights of filming on location at night. In watch Belfast, which is in what Northern Ireland, so yeah, and it was like negative fourteen or something yeah. Fahrenheit. Yikes! They did it consecutively. I saw one interview where they said they did it consecutively. They didn't take like breaks off or anything because they wanted the crew and the cast to feel the fatigue towards the end. So when they shot some of the other scenes, they weren't at their their peak, you know, physical uh, address. They were. Okay, that's tired. just mind fucking with your staff. What the hell is that? <laughs> that's, <about>? that's, <laughs> that, that, that's that's manipulating a scene. That's great directing. That's what that is. Yeah. Um, so the other yes. thing then is that I like the retreat scene just absolutely got to the heart of somebody who has complete OCD. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they retreat in and they show the 
the like the formation that they're using to retreat. The most orderly friggin' retreat I have ever seen in my entire life. The unsullied army just throughout this whole thing, even though everything else they, like they seemed insignificant compared to everything else that was going on. Yeah. But what they did was really fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. Like no army but the Night's Watch and basically John and anyone who went on that little journey north of the wall, no one was prepared for this, no matter how much you talk about it. Dothraki least of all, right? The Unsullied were pretty unprepared for it because they're a disciplined battle group, but they are also really smart soldiers. They they reconfigured. They were not afraid to sacrifice their lives to protect the retreat and then to form do that great formation about Melisandre when she was mm-hmm. coming out to light the trenches like yep. they were the most disciplined group which didn't always help them but it really did help buy time like Tom was saying I, I will say one thing about the battle that I, I adored and this is about the episode in general is that it did a wonderful job of going from moment of hope moment of despair moment of hope moment of despair and then of course you know like all hell is breaking loose when the when the dead come back and lowest of the low which let you be prepared for this unbelievable ending um a couple other moments that i just want to make sure that we note um there really is to be perfectly honest besides the storyline of the battle there's only one storyline in here that matters, and there's probably like five characters involved in it. John and Danny are off doing their thing, being goofballs in the sky with the Night King. Uh, you've got this battle on the field, which is really just buying time. You've got the battle inside, which is basically just us all hoping Brienne, Jamie, and Pod all live. Right? <laughs> like, that's the whole. Davos is just <laughs> running around yelling things, got people in the crypt. There is one active storyline, only one, where character beats evolve. Everyone else's character is in stasis. They're just fighting the battle. But you've got Arya Stark, who everybody finally gets to see in totality as the badass fighter that she is. And you get that moment of Davos being like, G-dong, looking at her like, who is mm-hmm. this person? She's doing rolls down the tops of the dead. She's sliding off rooftops. And the final arc of, it's not his final arc, but the final arc of Arya and the Hound is the thi- and Beric and the Red Woman. This is what plays out across this episode. It has one major storyline so i'm just going to quickly take us through it Arya's, you know gets slammed on the head after being a badass um clegane is freaking out because of the fire and just the general hopelessness barrack's like are you gonna let her do all the work she's in mortal peril <laughs> right and you're standing and over then, here picking your butt <laughs> and you're standing over here freaking out and so they but go fire off. Fire. <laughs> right, for sure. But it's that thing that snaps him out. The little murder baby of him and Brienne is what snaps him out of his funk. And he has a purpose. He chases after her. Arya has her library scene. They meet back up. Beric saves her. She saves Beric. The hound pulls her away from Beric to save her. Uh, Beric stumbles along behind them and then they end up in the main throne room or as I like to call it the room of old white guys bitching at Sansa right they bar <laughs> they bar the gate and then we should discuss in quite a great de- detail the moment in this room 
Tom, do you have anything you'd like to say about it? Well, I, I said a little bit about it before, but I think it is the linchpin to Melisandre's arc uh, that she is the one who says, okay, listen, Arya Stark, uh, I am really bad at identifying Azora High. I've done it wrong <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> but I, maybe I've got it right this time. And if Azora High means that you kill the Night King, I think you're about to go kill the Night King. So why don't you go kill the night king please and then i can die and uh yeah i mean it it was brilliant i i on the first watch when when melisandre gives her the that that talk i think huh well that was interesting why does melisandre care so much about Arya? and they had that weird right. staring thing earlier right you know and that's and then it all so ties together about at it. the end yeah oh my god it's so well done there are so many clues she talks about how Beric fulfilled his purpose the the norse raised him multiple times to fulfill a purpose and he has done that now it was to keep aria alive mm -hmm. and she talks to aria and in fact she says something or, or aria says yeah you said i'd kill many people in fact i've done that and she says yes people with brown eyes people with green eyes people with blue eyes i still don't get it well, so that's a thing that came. I went back and watched the scene in season three, which I um, put in our little notes that I was writing that Richard got so mad at me about today. I'm sorry. A <laughs> uh, little lesson in Slack. Apparently, it's possible Only, to do a you post. you know, 173 notifications. That's all. Totally fine. <laughs> I was just writing as I went. But um, I, I think that that was a season three episode, the one where they buy Gendry from the Brotherhood Without Banners. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what Melisandre says to her by the wagon when they're tying Gendry off to go be, you know, the blood sacrifice. Uh, she says, you have a darkness in you and you're going to kill a lot of people, people with brown eyes. So that is a direct quote from season three. And at the time, you're just like, this is weird. Right? And then five, five seasons later, it pays off, which I think is only uh, because of the G.R.R. Martin game plan there. Like, but, that was, yeah. So something that, uh, that that was brought to my attention that I thought of when I was watching it that I think just really seals it, Melisandre's had plenty of visions. She's seen all kinds of things in the flames. She's seen this. She's seen that. When she met Arya, it wasn't a spell that had been cast. It wasn't blood in the flames or anything else. There was no... Little girls, shadow being, babies. Yeah, there's not none of that going on. She looked at Arya and saw Arya killing eyes of brown, green, and blue. That's all there was. There was nothing else to read into that. Although she tried to by saying you're going to kill a lot of people. Then at the end, when she sees Arya again, that's when even to her it finally clicks. She thought she was there to, to put the uh, the uh, rocks on fire for the for the Dothraki to charge. That didn't work out. Okay, well, maybe I'm here to light the pit on fire. Well, that didn't work out either. Well, now I'm here in this room with this little girl who I saw this vision about, and now it finally makes sense. The Lord of Light didn't give her, Arya's going to kill the, the, the Night King. The, the Lord of Light gave her a vision of her killing brown eyes, green eyes, and blue eyes. And this is not Melisandre having this vision of Arya doing it. It's her realizing that the vision that she had been given, not the, the one she asked for, the one that she had been given was what she was here for. And Rich, Richard, when, when, 
When they Rich- said that, my wife turned to me and said, you know, Cersei has green eyes. Oh, yeah. it's just because Richard doesn't <laughs> want me to tell you has green eyes. Yeah, it's, it's very specifically written in the first, uh, first chapter of the first novel that Cersei has very green eyes. I'm assuming everyone else in Westeros has the brown eyes, right? Um, okay, so there's- <laughs> the, the phrase had brown eyes because they were completely average. Um, okay, so I really do want to budget our time, but I think there's a couple other important things in the battle that we could run through really quick, which is the moment, like, there's all this amazing aerial dragon thing, which we could probably spend a whole episode on, but basically everybody ends up on the ground. Uh, Dragonfire does not kill the Night King, we've learned this, and then John remembers the wait, dang wait, wait, shit. Wait, wait. Yeah, wait, yeah, yeah. And the Night King can smile, by the way. Oh, apparently the Night <laughs> King can I, as, smile. As soon as she said Dracarys, I'm like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. It's too early right. in the episode. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> yeah. And he just gives her what I would call uh, an ice-eating grin. Uh, <laughs> and then does the thing that these dum-dums should have remembered that he did at Hard Home, right? Yep. Which is he just does that little subtle, like, hey. Raise the roof. Raise the roof, raise the dead. <laughs> and then, you know, all hell breaks loose uh, in the safest place, which is definitely the crypt. Um, I thought the swarm of Drogon was amazing. I thought, like, the little ants on the dragon. Oh, yeah. I was worried about Drogon. Yeah. I was too. I was really thinking that he was not going to survive that. So at the, when he comes back at the end and kind of comes down in this almost lost last scene-like moment where he lies down next to hmm. uh, Danny and Jorah, I was really glad to see that he was still alive. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's notable that uh, Sam, poor Samwise Gamgee, or whatever his name is, is uh, definitely realizing he wants to be a maester if he survives this and not a member of the Night's Watch. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have fought so hard to fight. Yeah, Interesting like, note about that. Apparently, yeah. the tears were just an ad lib on one take that wow. they loved so much that they kept. That like, guy's cool. really good at his job. Um I also think, like, come on, Danny, like, Daenerys's limitations as a general are definitely exposed here because, like, she's on a GD dragon, right? And John has to go all the way back to the courtyard where his the brother, the prime objective, is. And, like, she could have very easily just dropped his ass off there and, and done it. She said, she's like, you go walk. She's Which, not a bus. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, it shows you that they are not aligned, like, because otherwise she'd be, she'd be using her empathy and be like the fastest way is to put you on this dragon and i'll drop you off and everything be fine suits the plot but you know that didn't happen although i i don't i don't know i mean when she yells go it didn't feel negative to me it felt like that's the only way like there there must have been some reason she didn't feel like getting him up on the dragon was the right way to go i don't know so yeah it also shows the lack of military discipline that danny has when she as soon as the dothraki are extinguished literally she wants to break free and go against the plan, whereas John wants to hold the plan because right. he's got the military right. mind. He's got mm-hmm. yes, we are going to encounter well, losses. He learned, yeah, from these, the last these time are things he that fucked are, up. Yeah, these things, these are things that are going to happen. <laughs> we hold to the plan because that's the plan that everyone knows. And everything that happens with John and Danny after that are a result of Danny not being able to hold her military discipline. I would like yep. to note that the music near the end of the episode gets very Westworldy, which makes sense. Oh my God, that's exactly what I wrote. Yeah, because the same composer. I get it. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Uh-huh. Okay, I did not realize. But that. it was yeah. particularly Westworldy. Well, these Violent Delights it, did have violent ends. That's they certainly yeah. did. No, it was 
Oh my God, it was so reminiscent of Westworld. And I honestly have paid so little attention to the soundtrack in this entire series. Mm. Most of it has largely been, in my opinion, unnotable. And I am a soundtrack guy. Like, I buy soundtracks that I love. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that I actually noticed and where I felt like they used it well, but it felt like a repeat because I'm like, oh my God, I saw this at the end of season one and season two of Westworld. Mm-hmm. Well, what if it just turns out this whole thing was a theme park? In uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so mad and simultaneously so delighted. Um, uh-huh. This is also the first episode that I noticed music through the entire episode. Yes. There were, yes. you know, yep. there were, there were very few moments where you didn't hear an, an underlying soundtrack during the episode, during the fighting, and it really conveyed. It's, it may be a repeat of Westworld's music, but it conveyed the the feelings of the episode very, very well. It was it's also the first similar. time I've noticed them yeah. kind of use the theme, yes. like recur the the opening. Yes. Theme. Yeah. Well, they yes. did it in the end of season seven when Cersei's busy blowing up everything with dragon fire. That was the first time I heard them really go to that. But in a in a uh, uh, you know, in a menacing way, and this was just again the lowest of the low. Uh, it was that moment right before the the candle goes out and it blows up the dragon flame. They used a version of it there, but yeah. this was much grander in scope and much more Westworldy and just much more pianoist. Because, like, really, at that moment, you are in the lowest of the low. John, everybody's trapped. People are trapped by the dead. John is trapped by the dragon. Jorah and Danny are trapped. I thought there was this wonderful moment when John kept trying to like go and the ice dragon kept trying to get him. And finally, yep. right at the end, he stood up and he was just like, oh, a Targaryen. And the, it, the dragon didn't fry him. He was like, huh? Like it didn't immediately result in John's death, which I thought was quite notable. He just sort of screamed at him and it like shook the dragon. But now I think is a reasonably good time to shift over to an area we haven't talked about much. The Godswood. Um, so who has thoughts about the Godswood and its arc? I don't know why anybody would. <laughs> I mean, it's not important. It's not like they didn't set it up to be the uh, most important here, thing. Uh, look, yeah. Can I, if, if you, if you don't mind, let me yes. just throw in a grenade. Yes. Uh, here. This is a tweet. I don't know if any of you have seen it from Vladimir Furtick, who plays mm-hmm. the Night King. Ooh. Uh, this was tweet was made at 2.41 PM yesterday before the airing of the episode. How did the Night King change Craster's babies? By touching them. How did he change Viserion? By touching it. What did the Blood Raven say to Bran Stark in the cave? He touched you. Food for thought. <laughs> oh, man. And then immediately the army of producers of HBO came and shut him down. That <laughs> <laughs> tweet's still up. Hasn't been deleted yet. Interesting. So, so essentially... He was trying to turn the three-eyed raven into a, a, a night guy, right? Is the plan? Well, I I couldn't tell whether and and because it was before he wouldn't have said Arya's name, but I don't know. Is is Bran uh, destined to to change in a, in a delayed rate? And hmm. wouldn't Bran have known that and left us some warning? Uh, or does this mean that Arya is infected? Whatever it means, it did make us think over here 
in our little neck of the woods uh, that maybe this idea that the last three episodes are solely about Cersei and the Game of Thrones might not be all there is to left to ah, deal with. Ah, very wise, very wise. So, all right, let's take a brief moment to backtrack to just the action in the Godswood, because if you have the most important guy of all time uh, at the center of your little garden with a tree in it, what you should definitely do is put like 12 people with him and nobody else. Now, <laughs> granted, there were supposed to be dragons, but... There were supposed to be two dragons there to kill the Night King. Yeah. Bran was bait, right? Yeah. So yeah. you don't want him too well defended. Right. But then, of course, the dum-dums on the dragons were like, ooh, things are happening over there. Dur, dur, dur. And John only came back once. Like, John came back once to, like, check in and then left again because he was sort of, like, torn between the two places he was supposed to be, which I've produced live television news. I totally understand that feeling. But, like, guys, you had a plan. Yeah. So um, Theon and his Alice Karstark and a bunch of others, the Ironborn, do their very best to protect Bran, but finally only Theon is left. And Theon has already apologized to Bran, to which Bran gave the standard I now call Jamie Lannister answer, which is, um, it's okay, because otherwise you wouldn't be where you are today, which worked better the first time than the second. And then at the yeah, end, al- yeah. Although it's it's actually like a, a compliment to him. Yes. Like, it, I, I wrote down that he kind of inadvertently makes Theon feel better. Oh, it's. I think it's advertent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also think it's Brand's answer to everything. Like the pizza guy's late, and he's like, "Don't worry, you wouldn't be here if you hadn't been." <laughs> so, someday you'll win the lottery because of this moment. Um, so then, only Theon is left, and he sort of turns to Brand in apology. Now, meanwhile, let's point out Brand has not been present for most of this, and it has been entirely unexplained where Brand is, what's right. he doing, and was Why? he just with the Ravens the whole time watching? Why? Why? Yeah. Why? Seriously, th- this is the thing that annoyed me more than anything in this episode is what the hell was he doing this whole time? <laughs> I, I only can assume we're going to find out because this scene doesn't play any differently if he's not warging again when we go back. Right. Mm-hmm. Like right. He, he wargs into the Ravens to, to kind of lure out the Night King, basically, to like buzz him with ravens and be like, ha-ha, here I am, come get me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that seems to be the point of the original thing. And so we were like, why is he still warging? And we don't find out. I wonder if maybe we will. Yes. I think more things are going to happen. Like, it, it, it's almost like, uh, did we all see the Ryan Johnson tweet, which was the greatest tweet in the history of tweets, where Ryan Johnson basically tweeted like, Damn it, I had this whole theory about the Night King, which is meta on every possible level that it could be meta, but also true. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, are, without delving into them for Richard's sake, I think there are several potential theories that could be theorized. Um, okay. But what we do have is a really lovely moment when Theon definitely knows he's about to die. And humanish Bran comes back briefly and says, Theon, you're a good man. And... And he says, thank you. And then Theon gets the honor of a hero's death at the hands of the big bad. Like, which Does he, though? I mean, you know, he kind of gets, it's not like I saying like, he did a good job. I was job. all in on that scene until he's like, and so now I will waste my chance yeah. by doing a really obvious frontal assault to someone I know. Not a strategist, Theon. Not a strategist. Yeah. But so then you've got this like, now here is the moment where. This is the kind of editing that I really love on Game of Thrones. And look, all of this was spectacularly edited, but this is edited for the purpose of story, not shock and awe, right? So you've got John is trapped. 
right? Uh, every, everyone's hopeless. They're all in their version of like really about to die. Um, and then the Night King reaches for his knife on the back of his, uh, you know, his back there. There's a wisp of wind that moves the hair of one of his commanders. And then quite literally, the greatest thing happens in the history of all things, which is a flying Arya Stark uh, coming in with uh, a knife, a very specific knife, which we'll get to. The Night King catches her at the neck, chokes her. You're like, oh, no, it didn't work. And then she does. I wish I knew more action movie stuff because I'll bet this move has a name where it goes from one hand. She drops it to the other hand as she guts that guy. in I think the knee uh, and he ice shatters. So talk to me about this scene uh, oh. because this is spectacular. First of all, she came in like. Uh, a character off of uh, Assassin's Creed. Like she had the full <laughs> jump in there. Um, and then he catches her by the throat and there's this great part. And I, I didn't see it the first time I watched it. Uh, luckily my wife insisted that I rewatch that scene because she didn't quite get what happened. He's holding her up and she's got her hand. Of course she's left-handed. Arya is left-handed as noted previously on this show. She drops the knife. And when she drops the knife, you can see the Night King is looking at the knife, and now he's looking directly at the camera through the hand of Arya Stark as the knife drops. She catches it in the other hand, and she stabs him dead center in the chest where the children of the forest had stabbed oh. him with the dragon glass. So it's thus undoing the magic and causing all the other whites to drop. Right. Now, this knife we have been told several different ways was super important. And we know now what its purpose was. We still don't know its backstory. I would imagine there's not going to be a lot of scenes where it's explained that they might be. In fact, this leads me to a overarching point that this episode made crystal clear about game of Thrones. It occurred to me that when they realized they were going to lap the books, they made a decision, whether it was conscious, whether it was agreement with the author, whatever it was, that they were going to not explain everything, right? Mm -hmm. They were just going to do the story, the broad strokes. And you can tell the difference in seven and eight. Like, it's a lot more broad strokes than there are subtle moments because the the source material that you, that informed those subtle moments it does not exist. And so they were going by TV rules, which is, you know, simple beat to beat to beat action. And they did a really good job of it because they're very good at television. But this is one of those moments where, like, you're not probably going to get the significance of that knife other than knife important. And that's all you're going to get. Um, so, yeah, so this was huge. Uh, and, you know, then Jorah dies all of Danny's sad, the dragon's sad, Jenny's sad, everybody's sad. Um, and Melisandre, and P.S., <laughs> just remind me, like, if I'm ever in a situation where I screw up in some specific way and everybody's mad at me, just remind me of this scene because what I really want to do is rock around going to everybody, I'd be dead before dawn. I'll be dead before dawn. Don't bother killing me. I'll be dead before dawn. Dead by dawn. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and that, that was a great line, too. It's like, don't bother executing me. I'll be I'll dead, be dead by dawn. dawn. Yeah. It was a great yeah. line. I'm and I kept that. expecting her to be killed, and instead she kills herself. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so you really knew because you were going to do it yourself. Yeah. She used up all her her her, her magics. 
Mm. Um, and yeah, and they ended on that, which I thought was really a good choice. Because if you think about it, the specific action of this episode really started with her and it ended with her. So she was the bookend. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that was the battle. Uh, any last thoughts about this before we go to a very careful version of what the hell could possibly happen next? Uh, <laughs> that, that if Richard has to close his ears and go, la, 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 we will let <laughs> la, 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 la. Uh, first. <laughs> final, <laughs> final, final thoughts, uh, favorite scene, favorite quotes, favorite this. Any final thoughts on this episode? I just love the way it ended i wasn't sure how i was going to feel about it until the end and i love uh and when i say the ending i'm not talking about melisandre i'm talking mm-hmm. about aria mm-hmm. um you know aria as the one who undoes the night king uh aria showing us the move she learned uh previously i guess we've seen it amos we, we figured out in spoiler time when brienne and her were were sparring oh. uh, so a little little reflective of that moment uh we've seen this move before uh and undoing what the children of of the forest did uh just just so well tied up and i was so happy that aria was the one to do it uh i i have a feeling i'm being lured into a false sense of security here uh potentially but i i I feel real real good about uh stark saving stark there yeah that was a nice moment bran didn't even smile he already knew He's just he bored knew. by everything because he's remember, seen everything. He gave the knife to Arya. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yes, you'll need this. I don't yeah. want it. Yeah. And here's the thing for me, though, is I picked very, very early, like, season one, uh, that Arya would be the key to killing the the, the, the White Walkers before I knew about the wow. Night King and stuff like that. I just had this feeling that Arya was damn important. Mm-hmm. Like, she was just mm-hmm. immediately my favorite character and the whole time. And then last episode... Um, after watching last episode, I told Kent, hey, I actually think Bran is going to kill the Night King because it's a zero-sum game. When the Night King goes, Bran will go. I think Bran will initiate something that will cause both of them to extinguish because you know they'll balance each other out and eliminate. So for exactly six days, I thought Arya was not going to be the one to take out the Night King, and she did. they got you yeah Uh, also uh i want to give credit to brian brushwood for pointing this out on our spoiler in time episode about this uh i loved that uh aria is silent when she's scared crawling around the library Mm -hmm. uh when she shouldn't be silent and that's because of her talent as an assassin trained under the faceless man uh and then makes it entirely believable that she could sneak into the weirwood uh, when nobody's looking and nobody notice her and be able to jump uh, after him. I, I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. Richard, how um, about you? Yeah. Yeah, the ending took me totally by surprise. So I, I didn't see that coming, but it was obvious that John wasn't going to get there. So I thought we would be left with a cliffhanger, which... Frankly, I would have been okay with, Mm. because as I mentioned at the start of our discussion, I kind of felt like this was a little anticlimactic in that, really, it's over after one friggin' episode? 90 minutes. Maybe not. Maybe not. We can, uh, you guys can theorize about that, (laughs) but I, I, I... I loved it. This this that was an amazing moment. I thought they did a phenomenal job of keeping us so busy 
that we forgot about, oh, what happened to Arya? While at the same time, we're like, holy shit, everybody is fucked. I mean, if you look around, they were just showing desperation scene after one after another where it looked like the beloved characters that we know were all going to die. It was it was beyond control. Yeah. And John clearly was not going to be able to complete his mission. And wow, it just they delivered. Mm-hmm. They totally delivered and- on that. Uh, you asked for a best line, so one, you know, Varys always comes up with great lines, right? And one of my favorite lines was his thing of, well, at least we're already in the crypt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think probably my favorite line was, um, uh, I'm looking through my 8,000 pages of notes for it because I (laughs) I wrote it down um, uh, and I can't find it. Anyone else have a favorite one? Oh, I already mentioned mine earlier. Yeah. It's it's Sansa uh, saying yes. you you were the best of them, and, and Tyrion replying, "That's terrifying." <laughs> what a terrifying <laughs> that was thought. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, my best line is going to go back to "What do we say to death?" Except this not, time, it's "What do we say to the God of Death?" Mm-hmm. Not, not today. Not today. Um, well, all right. I guess out of deference to Richard, we will not theorize too much about what's ahead except to say I am excited to get back to the game of thrones because at this point, I think the supernaturalness of its, of, of everything has run its course and to go backwards into it would be a weird, um, um, well, Backstep. May I I point out, and this is not speculating, Mm -hmm. uh, we (laughs) still have some undead in King's Landing. Yes, Mm -hmm. I thought about that. I actually did think about the hand. Who? 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 Well, I will just talk. Gregor Clegane, particularly. Yes, so we have a Clegane bowl coming up. The mountain. But do you remember in the last season, season finale, season seven, when Kyburn, the the Ubermeister, just like ran off with the hand of the dead? Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Let's yeah. give him a hand. <laughs> yeah. And keep it so he could figure Hold out up. how to do better what he did before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but that's all we're going to say about that. All right. Going once, going twice, going whites. Anyone have any final thoughts? Uh, I think after a second viewing and after a, th- a third conversation, uh, I like this. This episode just keeps getting better. And good episodes are episodes that you think about and theorize about uh, later. And this is one of those. Yeah. Um, mine was, go ladies, it's your birthday. Go ladies, it's your birthday. Really strong <laughs> episode for all women not named Daenerys Targaryen. And even she had a strong... A uh, moment at the end, but clearly uh, Viser- Viserys, her golden-haired brother, did not so much teach her about battle strategy. No, yeah, mm, just revenge. No, I, yeah. I'm I'm excited that this is the midpoint. Like like you said, now we get to back to the Game of Thrones itself, and we still have an 80 minute episode, another 80 minute episode, and then an 82 minute episode. These th- there's a lot of content still left with only three episodes left. Well. True, true. And frankly, you know, I had mentioned how at the end of last season, it felt like they could have wrapped it if they wanted to. Now, 
I'm not so sure. I'm like, wow, we have a lot to pack in in the next three episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that's why we have Let's Talk About Thrones, so that we are going to be able to talk about it. Real quick, Tom Merritt, guest of honor, tell us where you can find us on the internet. Uh, probably for folks interested in Game of Thrones, the two best places to go uh, would be cordkillers.com, uh, where on Spoiler in Time, we talk about all kinds of shows, including Game of Thrones, uh, and Sword and Laser, a uh, science fiction and fantasy book club I host with Veronica Belmont at swordandlaser.com. You can find all the shows I do at tommerritt.com. Anthony. You can find me on Twitter at Ethan Kane, and you can find all the things that I do um, at ritualmisery.com. Classic. Uh, Richard. You can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther, and I won't be talking about Game of Thrones, unlike the rest of the internet, because you all suck, by the way. What's with the spoilers? Unbelievable. <laughs> but you can find the work that I do at thedigitalmediazone.com. I got to tell you, at this point, Game of Thrones is equivalent to the Super Bowl. There ain't no... There ain't no spoilers in in live sports. It's your responsibility to stay away from them. Yeah. Uh, Did you see the game last night? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jenny, exactly. where can we find out about you before we get into a little feedback? Uh, InfiniteGain.co. That's infinite, like infinite war. Uh, but with an E, not a Y, dot C-O. And you can see all the neat things and the cool things that we're doing with this little company that I have that keeps growing despite my best efforts to say, stop growing. Uh, so, and also Jenny J 23 on Twitter. And this week we received feedback from Laundry and Steven. And of course, as we said previously, we will wrap up all of our, because we want to avoid spoilers and, and, uh, and, and, preconceptions and things like that. We're going to wrap up all these in a special episode towards the end, but we want to thank you for your feedback and you can send feedback to let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us Uh, to everyone still alive in the Westeros verse, a big flagon (laughs) of ale or giant's mommy milk or whatever it is that you're (laughs) drinking, raise a flagon or a tusk or whatever you got because you still made it at least for the next five days. Uh, Valor Margulis. Valor Harris. Oh, you know what? I was stupid. I should have plugged Let's Talk About Star Wars. We didn't oh, even shoot. mention it. We're it both a... dumb. Why didn't we do that? Why didn't we do that? I feel like we should. Can we? T- I'll tweet about it. That'll that'll solve that. You guys, yeah, you okay. guys know this is why we have post show quips, right? Yeah. <laughs> we forgot to cross promote. You know what it is? It's actually the greatest crossover event in Let's Talk About History. Yeah. Ooh, let's is. talk about history.com. This is our Avengers of yeah. Let's Talk. Yeah. That's yeah. right. We really we did a crossover episode. Um, all right. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night, Tom. I look all forward right. to your good next night, 12 everybody. podcasts. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>